Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Why Palm Sunday Matters. Praise the Lord. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and we're going to talk about why Palm Sunday matters. First of all, I want to let you know that others have used the same title on other messages because there are a number of reasons to explore why Palm Sunday matters. But the one I'm going to talk about today is one that is seldom talked about, and it has to do with the prophetic fulfillment of Palm Sunday and the irrefutable identification of Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel. Specifically, we're going to do a deep dive today. I I hope you can handle it. We're going to explore exactly when the first Palm Sunday occurred and why the timing is so significant. To start with, Palm Sunday marks the day that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and the people welcomed him into the city as their Messiah. It also marks the beginning of the last week of Jesus' earthly life and was capped off with his resurrection from the dead almost 2,000 years ago. Amen for that. Let me show you that in the Word. John chapter 12, verse 12 through 15, New King James Version. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Amen. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to see here. This is the first time in the Bible that you see Jesus as a grown man riding on anything. Every other time he traveled, other than by boat, he traveled on foot. And I believe it's because Jesus knew that the very act of riding into Jerusalem on that day on a donkey had prophetic significance. He knew that he was fulfilling prophecy by coming into the city that way. Because the prophet Zechariah, 500 years before, declared to the nation of Israel that their king, their Messiah, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Something else that's significant. In those days, when a king rode into a city on a horse, he came for war, he came to conquer. But if he rode on a donkey, he came in peace. So Jesus wanted them to know that he was their king, but was coming first as the prince of peace. So this is just one example of the many prophetic words that were spoken over the coming of Jesus the first time. Not to mention all the prophecies that foretold of his second coming. I think there's about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus' first coming or second coming. That's a lot of prophecy. But since we're talking about Palm Sunday, we're going to concentrate on those that were spoken over His first coming primarily. 
So let's begin by sharing the story of how God himself and the Old Testament prophets foretold over a period of about 4,000 years that Messiah would come to earth and be the Savior of the whole world. 4,000 years of proclamation and prophecy that Jesus was coming into the world. And if you study these prophecies, you'll find that two pictures of the Messiah emerge. You can see it up there on our slide. Number one, his first coming would be that of a suffering lamb. Number two, his second coming would be that of a conquering king. Amen. Unfortunately, the people of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, they didn't know that the Lord would be coming twice and that his first coming would be as a suffering lamb. They had no idea about that. But as believers, we got to be comfortable with Jesus as a suffering lamb and as a conquering king if we're really going to understand who Jesus was. He was both. He came as a suffering lamb the first time, but he will come as a conquering king the second time. Amen. So this revelation of the lion and the lamb, we sing that song here at Faith Life. This revelation of the lion and the lamb was reinforced to the Apostle John when he was taken to heaven and given this great vision that became the book of Revelation. So if you would, turn to Revelation 5, verse 5 and 6, and I'll give you a little background so you can see this scripture or this passage in its context. The scene in heaven went something like this. There was a scroll in heaven that had seven seals on it, And in that scroll were judgments that were to be proclaimed over the earth during the seven-year tribulation period. And the Apostle John was weeping because it appeared that no one was deemed worthy to break the seals and release those prophetic words over the earth. And he was weeping about it. So we pick it up there in Revelation 5.5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Amen to that. Verse 6 says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, there's a lot going on in these verses, and I don't have time to go into it all. But the main thing I want you to see is that John was told to look for the Lion of Judah, but what he saw when he looked was the Lamb that had been slain. A perfect picture of Jesus as the embodiment of both the Lion and the Lamb. Amen. So, shifting gears a little. What I'm going to do now is give you just a sample of the prophecies that went forth about Jesus over the 4,000-year period of time that I have already mentioned. So after mankind's fall, after Adam and Eve sinned and fell from glory, God was the first one to speak. And this happened about 4,000 years before Jesus' first coming. Read it in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, New King James. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. 
On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that word means warfare, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. God told the devil, because you have deceived the woman, and she persuaded her husband to partake of the forbidden fruit, you are cursed from this day forward. And I'm going to raise up a seed from the woman that will one day produce a deliverer. That's talking about Jesus. And there will be warfare between the children of the devil and the children of God. And the children of God will overcome. You may bruise his heel, devil, but Jesus is going to crush your head. So then Moses prophesied about the coming Messiah about 1,500 years before Jesus' first coming. And we read about it in Deuteronomy 18.15, New King James. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. That's talking about Jesus. He came from the tribe of Judah. Then Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah about 700 years before Jesus' first coming. And I've got three selections from Isaiah because he has the most to say about both the lion and the lamb. Isaiah 7.14, New King James. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Amen. How would you like to be the prophet Isaiah and have to prophesy that a virgin was going to give birth to the Messiah? And it wasn't going to come to pass for another 700 years. I imagine he took some flack from time to time over that prophecy. Then Isaiah 9:6, Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given. That's talking about the child Jesus. It's talking about his first coming. And then he shifts here and he says, And the government will be upon his shoulder. That's talking about his second coming. When Jesus will come back with the saints and take over the planet. And he'll be the king of the world. No apologies to Leonardo DiCaprio. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Boy, I feel the anointing just reading that. And then Isaiah 53, 4 and 6, he, he talks about the suffering lamb. The lamb that took our sins and took our sicknesses. Amen. Surely he has borne our griefs and Carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Amen. And then Daniel prophesied about the coming of the Messiah about 500 years before Jesus' first coming. And here's where it gets real specific 
and real interesting. And here's where it involves some math. Amen. Don't fret. I'm going to help you through it. The 70 weeks of Daniel found in Daniel chapter 9, in my view, is the most astounding prophecy contained in the entire Bible. Not a lot of people understand it, but I've studied it for years, and I'm going to give you an introduction to it this morning. How anyone could study this prophecy and fully digest it and not know that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah is a complete mystery to me. So I'm not going to read the entire ninth chapter because it's very long and very involved, but I'm going to read snippets to give you an overview of what Daniel was praying about and how his prayer was answered. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. Now the setting is the children of Israel are in exile. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and they sacked and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and they carried away the best and the brightest into exile in Babylon. So Daniel's in Babylon, in exile. Verse 1 says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Amen. So Daniel is reading the scroll of Jeremiah. And he realizes that the time of the Jews' captivity in Babylon is coming to an end. And he starts praying, even though it's already prophesied, that this would come to pass. There's a lesson to be learned there. Just because it's prophesied, just because it's spoken in the word over you, doesn't mean that you don't need to labor in prayer over that word to manifest in your life. So he felt the need, I believe, to pray that the people of Israel, who were in exile, that they would be prepared for the challenges that lay ahead as they transitioned back to their homeland. Verse 3, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. And if you keep reading, he goes into one of the most passionate intercessory prayers that you will find in the Bible. He pleads. He stands in the gap for his nation. He asks the Lord to forgive Israel for their sins. He repents for himself, for his own sins, but he repents for the sins of the nation as well. So pick it up in verse 20. Daniel says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, it's kind of involved, but 
in response to Daniel's prayer for understanding about this transition, about the near future of Israel, he actually gives to him the near future of Israel and then the far future of Israel as well as the nations. It's pretty amazing. All right, here's where you need to listen carefully and trust me to help you unpack this as some of this may go over your head. Verse 24. Gabriel says to the prophet Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Amen. That's a mouthful. So if you study this carefully you find that the 70 weeks being referred to here are actually 70 weeks of years. And even Jewish rabbis, scholars will say the same thing. So, so Gabriel is saying there will be 70 times 7 or 490 years in which the Lord will once again deal directly with the nation of Israel. And that's kind of an advanced topic that we won't go into this morning. So let's go with verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Now here's what I want you to focus on this morning. This verse, verse 25. The 69 weeks, or in Jewish calendar, 483 years. He essentially says, once a command or decree goes forth to send the Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, rebuild the streets, 483 years from that proclamation, Messiah will come. It's pretty amazing. Talk about a prophet or an angel setting dates. You know, we don't like to set dates, but Gabriel's Gabriel. He got the word of the Lord. He said, 483 years after this proclamation, Messiah's coming. So if we can find out when the decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem, we know that 483 years later on the Jewish calendar, Jesus, the Messiah, would come to Israel. All right, stay with me. Now, there were three decrees issued concerning the release and the return of the Jews from captivity. One decree concerned rebuilding the temple. You can read all about that in the book of Ezra. Another decree concerned reinstituting temple worship. But only one concerned the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And you can read all about that in the book of Nehemiah. So to be scripturally accurate, the timing had to be based on a decree to rebuild the streets and the walls of Jerusalem because they were specifically mentioned in the prophecy of Daniel. So of all these three decrees, the only one of these decrees that qualifies is the decree issued by Artaxerxes, king of Persia, in 444 B.C. We know that from history. And we know that from the Bible. And you can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 2. 
So in 444 B.C., that's 444 years before Christ on our way of reckoning time, Artaxerxes issues a decree to Nehemiah the first day of the month of Nisan to rebuild the city and the walls of Jerusalem. And God's prophetic clock begins to run. So doing the math, I've got some slides for you. Just hang with me. Just doing the math. There are a few things to consider. Lunar years versus solar years. The Jewish calendar was based on a lunar year of 360 days. Our calendar is based on a solar year of 365 and a quarter days. So we have to make some conversions. Okay, so I'm going to run through this, but I'm going to give you the bottom line sooner or later. So we start with 483 lunar years. Multiply those by 360 days to get 173,880 lunar days. Then we take the 173,880 days, lunar days, divide it by 365 and a quarter days, solar years. We convert those days into 476 solar years and 25 solar days. So you take 476 years and 25 days, you subtract out 444 B.C., which rolls you over into A.D., 25th day of Nisan, 32 A.D. We Christians recognize this day as Palm Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Now, before you get too impressed with my equations here and how I figured this out. Let me fess up to something. After years of studying this prophecy, I ran across a book written by Bible scholar Dr. Alva J. McLean in the 40s in which he exhaustively studied the 70 weeks of Daniel, and he came up with Palm Sunday 33 A.D. Turns out there was a calendar error that I didn't even know about that had to be accounted for, so I was a year off. Not bad for an amateur, though. <laughs> All right, if a lot of that or if most of that went over your heads, let me break it down for you. The bottom line is this. Based on a timeline given to the prophet Daniel that Messiah would come 483 Jewish years after Jerusalem was rebuilt, we are able to pinpoint with a few conversions the exact day that Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem. That day on our calendar was Palm Sunday, 33 A.D., 1989 years ago. Pretty amazing stuff. Do you see why I consider this to be the most astounding prophecy found in the entire Bible? Not only was Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, 33 A.D., an exact fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, but it irrefutably identified Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah prophesied by Daniel and by all the other prophets over a 4,000-year period of history. So why does Palm Sunday matter? One of the reasons it matters is because it removes all doubt. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus Christ is the soon coming King. So bow your knee to him today. Amen. 
Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Why Palm Sunday Matters. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 10.30 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.